This is Worship God, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Canada. Worship God is designed to equip worshipers and worship leaders for Christ-centered worship. Welcome back to Worship God. My name is Rob Brockman. I'm an associate pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Aurelia, Ontario. And today I'm joined by Pat Sabell, worship pastor at Midtown Church in Vancouver. And I'm also joined today by a special guest, Dr. Johnny Markin, worship director at Cloverdale Baptist Church in Surrey, BC, and director of Worship Leader Institute. Guys, thank you for being here. Pat and Johnny, welcome, especially to you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Today, we, in this episode, we want to dive into the conversation surrounding the Lord's Supper. Um, Now, obviously, we could spend multiple episodes (laughs) diving into the doctrine and the theology surrounding the Lord's Supper. Um, But today we really wanted to kind of focus in a bit more kind of practically and in practice on the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a ton of diversity within the Protestant world about how the Lord's Supper is even done. So guys, I'm curious from like, what was your practice growing up? Maybe what you're most familiar with in terms of how the Lord's Supper was done in your churches? I'll let you go first, Johnny. Uh, well, the first part of that is that I didn't grow up in the church, and I came to faith in my teens, and my earliest church experience was a Plymouth Brethren church that did the Lord's Table every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So we had a morning service, and then we came back for a Sunday night service, and it was around the elements, and uh, there was a, a, a lot of silence in those services, and people were mm. quite spontaneous. Uh, it was almost Quaker-like in the way that it was done, mm. where it was uh, congregant-driven in terms of its, if I can use the word liturgy, it's the way it kind of just rolled out. And then at one point, one of the elders would get up, and then he would, I believe, if I can still remember this, it was all pretty new to me, he would read the passage from 1 Corinthians 11, and mm. then uh, the elements would be passed around and people would partake. Uh, most of the services that I've been in, be it Baptist or Pentecostal or Free Church or Mennonite Brethren, have always been the passing out the elements. I've I've been to some services where you come forward, but most of the time it's been the pass it around to the seats and we eat either on our own or waiting for each other. Huh. Pat, what about you? Yes. um, Similarly, I was, uh, grew up in the Pentecostal assemblies uh, and we uh, did it once a month uh, and it would be something that the pastor would have elders come forward and and distribute the elements um and and big emphasis on contemplative uh examining yourself um Mm. and uh yeah it it was uh it was a once a month thing i think but 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 at that once a month thing it 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 did have a it hold it held a a a pretty prominent place on that once a Mm. month uh time but it, yeah it was a special time it was but but once a month yeah when i i grew up it was not when i was in church growing up it wasn't like a weekly or even a monthly thing it was kind of just like now and then maybe like five mm. or six times throughout the year ah. um and certainly on certain key services we do communion uh, definitely like good friday stuff like that and um i grew up something fascinating i grew up always having wine and bread 
Hmm. Um, never grape juice. That was something that I, <laughs> when I came out to the GTA, it was, that was like a change. And I was, I always wonder about that. I'm like, what, what happened to the wine thing? We don't do wine anymore. And I get it. I understand it. But it was just one of these things that was different. And we always approached the table and we would literally break pieces of bread yeah. typically off. Yeah. And so as a kid, I was always to try to get a bigger chunk. I was always <laughs> hungry. <laughs> so that's kind of how I um, kind of grew up. And now it's more like the two cups separated cracker grape juice that's kind of the the standard thing yeah. um johnny you you taught in the worship arts f- faculty at trinity western university and part of why we have you here today is you teach a lot about church history and you've thought a lot about this subject and so that's why we've asked you on to this for this episode um and i was wondering if you could maybe just dive a bit into the history of the Lord's Supper for us and talk a little bit about how was this celebrated as far as we can know um, in the early church? Well, we have to remember that uh, ancient Jewish and even Greek uh, Middle Eastern culture was very ritualized. We, we kind of have a sense that we, we think, oh, the church should go back to the way it was at the beginning, and it was very informal. But even in their homes, there was a lot of formality in terms of the ritualistic things that you did. And you could point to things like the Passover ritual, in which the family members all had their little roles to play, the father, the children, uh, and they had the, the, the lines that they had to say as part of this enactment. And uh, there are many today who refer to, like Robert Weber would say that worship is an, a reenactment of the gospel, and in the sense that it was ritualized to a, to a point. Ritual wasn't something that people were afraid of in those days. So when we look at the earliest ways that the Lord's uh, Supper was celebrated, we might firstly point at how Jesus did the Passover meal, but there's a different antecedent, and that goes all the way back to Exodus 24 in uh, the covenant ratification meal that the people of Israel did with Yahweh, mm. in which they took the sacrificed meat, and then after the law had been read, the Lord had spoken to them through Moses, and they said, all that you have done, we will obey. They responded. The elders of the were uh, invited up the mountain and as they dined on the sacrificial meat together, the Lord passed by them, manifested himself in this wondrous vision. And so we have in that Exodus 24 uh, passage something that we can see moving into how we view the Lord's table today. And in many circles, it is a covenant renewal meal, such as in the Reformed Church. But So I think we have to look at the fact that it might have looked informal. There was a lot of breaking of bread, and it was around a table, and it was kind of done in a meal setting. People have called it the love feast, or maybe a, we, we have this image of a potluck. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, it, it was a sense that there was a certain moment in the meal when, yeah, you were eating this stuff, but there were prayers. And there were things to be said and done, and it, this was a special moment at which they remembered Jesus, mm. and that, that was a really important part of those meals. Mm. There seems to be a key, like I think about in Acts 2, it's, it's mentioned, well, scholars will argue, is it mentioning yeah. breaking bread in Acts 2.42, is that fellowship and eating, or is it the Lord's Supper? And a lot of people argue that is the Lord's Supper, and it features very prominently in the mm-hmm. life of the early church, which totally lines up then. It's almost like ingrained as one of four key things, prayer, preaching, mm-hmm. fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Yeah. And it's it's a prominent, prominent thing, which is why we want to, you know, obviously take a look at it yeah. and, and evaluate it. How did that change 
kind of going forward, once you pass kind of through the early church years, going on into the late medieval period? All right. Well, I mean, that's a big scope of history. I want to jump ahead about 30 years. When the book of 1 Corinthians was written, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, there was already a sense of ritual of what, what they were to do, which is why in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you. And then he goes through what are called the words of institution, uh, that the the I, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. There's the passage, and he describes mm-hmm. the meal and what the Lord said about the meal. It seems to be a liturgy that already existed and in and a ritual, a formal kind of approach to what you would do right there. The church was was celebrating in this manner. Uh, you have Justin Martyr giving us some stuff in the first and early second century about the things that should be said and done and what you should do with the, uh, the bread and the cup afterwards, uh, especially if people from your fellowship uh, weren't present, if people from the church, uh, you would go to them with those elements after the fact so that they felt included. You go to the prisons, you'd go to the hospitals, you'd go to their homes where they, they were, uh, you know, maybe sick or too old to make it into the gathering. And so there was a sense that there was the family meal happening here. This was this inclusiveness that if you're confessing Christ and in, in those days, if you're a baptized believer, that's how you confess Christ, then we're going to make sure you receive of the Lord's body and blood, mm. however you view that. And so you you had this sort of pre-Constantinian time of this informal aspect of gathering. Uh, after Constantine and then uh, later on, late 4th century, Christianity becomes the state religion in the West. Uh, and Constantine develops in the East, you know, this whole Christian culture as well in Constantinople, mm. build, builds a city on Christian principles and wants to see the kingdom of God in its midst. Uh, you get a more formal approach beginning to happen. And uh, interesting, there's an interesting change of emphasis between what happened before the Constantinian period, where the main emphasis of the Lord's table was resurrection, Uh. remembering the Lord's resurrection and what it pointed to. And they had a phrase called the eighth day, is that Sunday to Sunday was the eighth day. And the eighth day referred to the Lord had created the earth in six, rested on the seventh, and we were waiting in the time of the Sabbath and hopefully waiting for the eighth day to come. Mm. And so every Sunday they would break the bread in the cup and it would be Maranatha, Mm. come Mm. Lord Jesus. Mm. And they were in a persecuted time. Mm-hmm. And so their their eyes were on the skies, mm-hmm. you know, like, come, invade us now, Lord. We need you. Mm-hmm. And, and yet when Constantine comes and the, there's more peace for the churches, and even to the point then when the church is made the, the state religion, no longer the Roman pagan faiths, then everybody has to go to a place. And so they, they take over the basilicas, the, the, the justice halls, and those can fit lots of people in them. And suddenly you need a place where you can put three, four hundred people in and not just a living room or, you know, a villa or whatever it was called, a little <laughs> courtyard. And so you've got this more, you can't bring enough food for all these people and the meal size is reduced. It becomes a symbolic meal, important nonetheless, but a symbolic. And we have to remember that the idea of symbol isn't just like, oh, it's unimportant. Symbol carries great importance, symbol and sign. So you you get the early church and then the post-Constantinian patristic era, 
And then right up to the medieval period, it begins to change. There's all these uh, debates over what happens with the bread and the wine. Rodbertus and uh, Retrumnus, I think the two guys who were debating in the time of Charlemagne over you know what happens when you pray over the meal, and that's where they develop this this theory of uh, transubstantiation that it it changes, and, and that is a huge discussion that we we can't enter into. <laughs> but be that as it may, uh, there was a period where up to the time of the Reformation, the Lord's table became a more elitist thing to partake in. People became very afraid that if they had sin in their lives, if they partook of the elements, they might die. Mm -hmm. And so nobody was deemed to be worthy of taking the table except for the priests themselves. And so the best that the people could do was witness uh, what was told to them to be a great miracle that at the given time when the priest prayed over the cracker, the bell would ring and they would, oh, ah, there, now Jesus is in the bread. Mm. And and they were watching and observing a miracle. And it, there was a famous cry that would go up, hold it higher, good priest. You know, so the guys in the back want to see, right? Uh, but the, the fact that they couldn't partake yeah. was really a, a strain on many. And I think that's what pushed guys like John Huss and Martin Luther to begin to, to challenge in the day, like, you know, something ain't right here. I'm not, I'm not squaring this up with what it says about the church in the early days in the New Testament. And so that's when we find ourselves getting up to this explosion of different ways of celebrating the Lord's table come the Reformation. Mm. So good. I, I was thinking about your your eighth day thought there, Johnny, and, uh, you know, looking to, you know, that's that was way back then, that was the early church, but but what about now? And thinking of that, you know, come Lord Jesus, you, you don't hear, yeah. you don't hear a lot of come Lord Jesus in our churches. Um, mm-hmm. And and there isn't that, that, and, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just this um, intensity anticipation, anticipation mm-hmm. but intensity just yeah. around yeah. uh longing for christ to return because of the yeah. the you know the trial and the and just life is hard we have life is so good <laughs> life is yeah. life yeah, is sure. easy and we we don't have a struggle yeah. and and there's no need for the lord to return because things are pretty good down here um but but mo- move us forward L- look into be past the early church to to today what are some of the differences and yet and and some similarities with within mm. the protestant uh church yeah. or, or around the lord's supper and how we practice yeah. it today well obviously we have some things that we agree on the church in general the church global agrees on and then some things that that we disagree on we need to touch on those one of the things i forgot to mention that's really important for the discussion going forward historically is that after constantine the emphasis moved from that uh, eschatological view of the table, that hopeful return of Christ moment, to now looking backwards mm. to what he had done. Mm. And that remembrance part uh, became much more important to think about what he had done for us rather than he is coming again. Mm-hmm. And that shapes, uh, I think, a lot of Reformation theology about the table because we, we talk a great deal about using the elements in, uh, in the Lord's Supper. I mean, if we first of all look at what we agree on on a on a sort of a grander scale is the elements mm. there's the bread and the cup 
Right. And I say cup because, Rob, you've already identified that in some circles you have wine and you have juice in others. And the, the church I went to in England we were part of for many years, they would hold a special Sunday night service and they'd always have two cups at the front, leaded and unleaded. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the people by conscience could go to the one they approached, uh, they felt comfortable with. Uh, but you, you, we agree that those are the ways the Lord said, do this, right? Uh, now, there's also the sacramental nature of the table, that this is something the Lord said to do, mm-hmm. Christ instituted, and set it apart as mm-hmm. a way of remembering Him, as a method of worship. And I think that's one of the things that we, we, in our language about worship, we need to get back to, is remembering that all of the elements we do in our gathering are acts of worship. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, worship is not just the singing, it's not just uh, any, anything like that. There is praise as worship, and there is thanksgiving in song, but the preaching, the the reading of the word is all part of that mirrored experience of the Exodus 24 passage that I mentioned earlier. So you got the sacramental nature. That's another thing we agree on. We agree that it's a communal ritual, a communal rite, that our unity is expressed as we Mm. eat together. Mm. Let us eat and drink together. And then it's it's this sense of remembrance. And there's a Greek word in 1 Corinthians 11. When uh, Paul writes, he said, do this in remembrance of me. The Greek word is anamnesis, which kind of sounds like the word amnesia. Hmm. And but one means remember, one means forget. Right. And another, in, in many ways, the Lord knows we need to do this regularly because... Uh, we suffer from spiritual amnesia, so we must do anamnesis. Right. <laughs> so... Just a way of thinking about yeah. that. So you got those elements we do agree on. I was just thinking how often that's 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 the Jerry Bridges quote. You know, the need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, um, mm-hmm. and and so we the need to preach the gospel in our Sunday gatherings through through the 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 songs that we sing, through the preaching of God's word, through the 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 creeds and confessions, uh, through mm-hmm. through the sacraments. Um, and and that that the the Lord's Supper, the table, is this beautiful live illustration oh. in our gatherings that is saying the gospel we've been singing about and preaching and proclaiming. This is the the tangible live illustration mm. of that. Yes. Um, and and many would say the visual expression of God's mm, grace right before us. Right. Right. When we are tasting, we're tasting in a sweet way what Christ yeah. experienced in a bitter way. And there's like a glorious even picture like, oh, we're having this sweet meal and this filling bread when Christ was completely emptied and drank bitter wine and his, he yeah. was broken. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, we need singing because what singing does is it helps us connect and, and get God in a very emotional way. And then we taste mm-hmm. of the Lord in this oh. way, which is, a, which is a, again, we need all these different palettes in our expressions of worship to, to get it. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think you mentioned the things we disagree on, and, and I think even just the words that we're using in this discussion kind of reflect a little bit of that. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's more than just the sort of cultural language that we use. So if we look at the word, uh, the Lord's table, it's actually a picture of the heavenly banquet at which we will partake with Christ on the eighth day. Mm. Uh, so it's got a forward-looking aspect to it, and you're invited to that supper, to that table. The Lord's Supper 
often is connected with the idea of the remembrance of that time of reflecting, of thinking about what he suffered, how he suffered. And then Eucharist, which is a lot of traditional churches refer to it as, is the Greek word, Eucharisti, is uh, thanksgiving. And the emphasis in that kind of a service is about Christ's resurrection. Look, we have life itself because he is risen from the dead, so we will rise. And then finally, communion is that community, that unity, communion, unity, uh, community. You can put the two words together, I guess, you know. Mm, But there's four expressions. And when we use those expressions, you see this multivalent uh, expression of what this ritual Mm. is. Mm. It speaks the entire gospel. It's Mm. beautiful. Mm. So there isn't like one phrase that's better or more biblical or one way that we should. All these things you're saying. It's yeah. like prisms looking in. They're they're giving us different pictures yeah. in, in a way. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it helps when we begin to understand all of those aspects. Uh, and uh, my son Daniel's a pastor at Westside Church, and he often reflects to me that he's when we are tasting of the bread and the cup, we're it's a foretaste mm. of what's going to happen then. And, and I, I love that discovery, that sense of anticipation coming back to the Lord's Supper. I, it is interesting, though, because I think probably if we maybe in my church if i got up there and said let's celebrate the eucharist together a lot of jaws would drop on the floor and that would be very foreign to a lot of people because some of that language has certainly been prominent in some kind of uh traditions and so it is kind of a shame that we you know we miss out on some of these pictures Sorry, Pat. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people saying the the every Sunday celebration of the Lord's Supper, is, it's dangerous because it becomes, can become rote or just becomes something that, you know, we're going to lose something there. Um, and, and I think that the beautiful picture of remembering one Sunday, you know, the next Sunday, looking ahead of that, that great feast. Uh, Johnny, is that something mm-hmm. that, that you would say is can be helpful like i was just thinking the intentionality in which we uh, do the lord's supper and think about it i don't think it has to be we we could say of preaching and of singing and all those things if we did it every sunday then it's gonna you know it's gonna lose its shine or its uh its value uh but the lord's supper i think there's it's just there's so much uh to draw attention to uh, the, of, of its significance and its beauty. And mm. so to, to touch Absolutely. on various uh, aspects of it on, on any given Sunday gathering, I think can be glorious. I think that that's a, a way that churches that want to try to begin to move into a weekly celebration of, of communion uh, could approach it, is that if we're afraid of that sort of roteness, like you wouldn't sing the same song every week, would you? Right. But you you could actually take a different view of the different emphasis. This week, our emphasis is on our unity. Right. This week, the emphasis is on remembering his suffering. And, uh, you know, I mentioned four. The fifth one is the covenant renewal. Mm. You know, we can take a fifth week and say, let's express our participation in the covenant renewal. Mm. There's a phrase that's used of baptism, that baptism is the initiation in our faith, and that then the Lord's table is our participation right. in the mm. faith. So mm, That's good. Mm. What about, you know, the different views of Christ's presence? Mm. 
Um, I mean, again, this is a huge conversation, and we're, but but maybe just give us a little bit of yeah. what generally are the different perspectives that people would take on Christ's presence in in this. For instance, my, like my old pastor would always say, Christ is never more intimate. The thin the space between heaven is never as thin as during the Lord's Supper. That was something that he would yeah. always say and lead up to it. Um, right. What are what are the what are the ways that we we think about this? Uh, well, I mean, historically, uh, the idea of transubstantiation didn't arise until about, I think, the 11th century, somewhere around there. There was just a, always a sense that it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, he, this is the body, this is the blood. However, people assumed that it was, that's what they thought it mm-hmm. was. Okay, So putting that aside, when we reach the period of the Reformation, we get this real change in how we begin to think about Christ's presence at the table. You've got the Roman Catholics, the transubstantiation in which the Christ is in the bread and in the cup. Mm. Now, they would say that it's without losing its wineness and its breadness that it's, but he is still there. Okay, so consubstantiation is a Lutheran concept in which he is in, around, and over, and above Mm -hmm. the elements, that Christ is there at the table somehow in the elements. And it's all very mysterious. I mean, every one of these uh, theologies has at its inception the idea that there's a mystery going on here. In fact, the the table was often referred to as participating in the mysteries Mm -hmm. because we couldn't quite conceive of how Christ could be in the bread and in the cup. But he said, this is my body, this is my blood. He didn't say this represents my body and this represents my blood. Right. It was interesting terminology. Okay. So we have the concept substantiation and the reformed people such as Zwingli or uh, Calvin would push back and say, no, 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 no. Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father. So how can he come down to the table? It's the spirit uh, which is in the bread and the cup. And it's, they call it real presence. And so there's this spiritualization of the elements by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And Calvin, interestingly, brought those two things together. And he says, it's not that Christ comes to the table. It's that the Spirit at the table takes us up to the heavenly table with Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that blew my mind, mm-hmm. you know. And, and when, you, when you read Calvin, he is so heartfelt about worship yeah. and the table and emotional. And he's often seen as this cognitive, you know, dry yeah. person because of what Calvinist, Calvinism is thought of in mm-hmm. terms of its faith. But man, this guy was passionate about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then finally, you've got this symbolic, this Anabaptist view that Christ is at the table because he's in you and he's in me and we are at the table. Therefore, Christ is at the table because he is in his people. Mm -hmm. And it's no less of a high view of the table. In fact, Balthazar Hubmeyer, one of the early Anabaptist theologians, he wrote a a liturgy of the table for when they would meet in the forests under persecution. Mm. And he implemented something in that period. He says, you should do this every time you meet. And when you do it, before you partake, you have an oath of love that you make to one another that you will go to the death even with your brother and sister Mm. in the time of persecution because we are one in Christ. Mm. So it was about protecting the unity. It talking about our liturgies and our churches, you know, I, I think sometimes maybe an impression we can get is communion just kind of tacked on to the end of our services and it's just mm-hmm. kind of thrown in there. And uh, it's like, all right, uh, you know, oh man, we got, we got to get communion in. So drop a song, worship leader, and let's kind of get it in the end. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is 
uh, Johnny and even Pat, you want to, you want to jump in on What do you guys think? Is that, Hey, is that fair? Because maybe it's not, maybe that's an assumption. And if you think it's fair, why, why do you think that is? How have we gotten there? Hmm. I, I wanted to mention that I actually attended a, a church plant in a gymnasium once in which, as the service was wrapping up, the host said, and there's a table at the back if you want to just go and help yourself to some bread and some cup uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just it's kind of what we call communion. Uh, uh, it was a self-serve communion. It was optional. It was very <laughs> personalized, over-personalized in many ways. And in my mind, I didn't think that the person really had a, a strong theology and idea of biblical view of the table. Uh, you know, maybe it's just never been put out that way, but I think we it if Jesus said do this, we should spend some time thinking about why. Right. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, I I would just say uh, just this morning I was having a a chat with my lead pastor about this. Uh you know, we practice the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Um and um, we have people, we, we call people forward, but there is a similar, almost almost identical kind of thing that's, that's spoken out of the preached word. Um, and and I, I was just having conversation about, you know, is, is there something where we should be uh, more intentional uh, at looking at the various aspects of, like I said, like celebrating, uh, awaiting that day of celebration, the, mm. the banquet mm-hmm. feast, and and remembering, mm. and you know what are what are some some of the components that that just you know make people, you know, we think of the preached word. The preached word is is taken fifteen to twenty hours in a week for the for the pastor to to search the scriptures and to come up with a uh, you know a. a a banger of a of a word from the lord that's gonna you know have an impact on people and the worship leader if he's doing his job right and thinking intentionally he's he's you know setting aside eight hours ten hours to 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 pick out songs and think of of scriptures and a a corporate confession of sin or however you do it Mm -hmm. um but all of a sudden there if it's just this thing that we do every week that's just got you know kind of your same old same old we move into i think it, it without us even thinking that way we're 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 it's becoming something that's not as significant as it should be um mm. and so i would just say i feel like greater intentionality as a whole needs to be like purposeful mm. in the way that we think about the lord's supper and our gatherings and the way that we uh, the way that we 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 call people to it, I think the church. It's interesting that we used to observe at my previous church that whenever we did the Lord's Supper together, there was a sense when we sang songs after that that there was a greater engagement by the people in the songs. You could visibly see them responding to God, mm. just whatever song it happened to be. It just There was something that happened in that. And we said, well, why should we be doing this every other month? Don't we want our people uh, to feel closer mm. to God mm. and to be able to approach him in a different way? And they said, well, let's move it to once a month. And it was wonderful to be able to do that. So I, I think there's a sense that uh, there's an important thing that goes on when we celebrate. And time becomes our greatest challenge mm. in many of our churches, if you're doing multi-service especially, you got to finish and you got to move on. To, maybe you've got a particular window you've got to do for your, your online viewing or your recording. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think anything has to necessarily suffer uh, 
you, you can make it as special as you can. And one, one of the advantages I've seen in not passing the elements out, but, but actually inviting people to the table, is that the time of waiting for your turn to go up is the time that can be infused with corporate song. Mm. And, and that keeps your mind focused for 10, 15 minutes upon what we're doing rather than uh, something that is just, and now let's finish because we have to. Right. And and I think obedience is a good thing, but I, I think the Lord would love us to be able to have a sense that we're engaged with our hearts as well as our heads too. So I, I, I would encourage people to look at how they can devote time and understand that this is an important time, that because Christ said do this, he is, this is a sacramental moment that the Spirit is moving in. Yeah. We should trust in that right. more than our own ability to create something. Yeah. In a way, I think modern evangelical worship has become very centered around preaching, the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, Brian Chapel in his book, Christ Center Worship, talks about mm-hmm. how a lot of people view everything else in the service as kind of like the prelude to the sermon. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the oh, really you're waiting for the, the reason why you're there, which is preaching. And um, and so I, I guess what I'm wondering is what what are there maybe ways in which, places in which the Lord's Supper fits better in our liturgy or where is ultimately the, the best place? And there's not one answer, but thinking thoughtfully about these things, thinking that our liturgy communicates something where do we think communion and the Lord's Supper and participating in this really fits the best in our liturgy? I think it's important to remember to go back to Exodus 24 again. Why is in historic liturgy, and we're, we're talking about 2,000 years of how the church has done this, why is it always placed after the message? And I, I, I've been in churches, I've been in services where we've done it beforehand as part of our worship of the with the music and everything and then we go on to the preach you know there's actually a sense that there's something going on when god reveals himself through his word and the 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 term that we want to refer to is revelation and response Mm -hmm. this is what we see in throughout the old and the new testament that god reveals himself people respond Mm -hmm. and the lord's table is a way of responding to what god has already said Mm -hmm. you know there was the verbal declaration in exodus 24 where moses read the law and then they said all that you have said we will obey so there's a verbalization that goes on but then there was that participation in that fellowship feast that goes on as well so there's a sense that in the historic liturgy it was often word and table mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And, and when we think about why, is that the, the scriptures tell us that God makes himself present in three ways to his people. One is through his word. In the Reformed uh, tradition, we understand that God is in, in the speaking of his word. It's pneumatic. It is, it is spirit-filled when his word is read or sung or preached. And so we, we, we get that. Yeah. In more uh, traditional circles where the Lord's table has a a different uh, sense of importance, if I can put it that way, it's because they understand the sacramental nature in in how Christ makes himself present goes Mm -hmm. back to the discussion at the table or in the elements or somehow. Like, this is what he said do, right? right? So it's important. So Christ makes himself present through the elements. The third way 
is by his Holy Spirit mm. in his people mm. because he gives gifts to his people with which to operate in ministry and to edify one another. Mm. And uh, we have often substituted in our current culture the idea that God makes himself present through song, but that's not scriptural. Mm. Song should function to link our our flow of the elements of worship, or if you want to say the liturgy, it should serve the liturgy and be that way of heartfelt expression in what Dr. Constance Sherry calls the, the holy dialogue between God and his people. Mm-hmm. And so that God is speaking, we respond. God is speaking, we respond. We, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We edify. Mm-hmm. So there's a vertical and a horizontal conversation going on throughout our gathered worship. And that it culminates in, in, the, in the historic church, the Lord's word and the Lord's table. And that's why it always seemed to follow it in the historic liturgy. Does, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, and I think that even when you look at, you're, like you talk about the historic liturgy, when you mm-hmm. track a lot of liturgy, yeah, the Lord's Supper is really always partaken in as response. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. When yeah. we hear of the Lord's salvation, we see what he's done for us. We're made aware of his word and his truth that leads yeah. us to respond. So what better response than to eat of the gospel in, in that way? Absolutely. I, I, there's this expression I came across called Eucharistic community as I was doing some of my dissertation. Mm. And, and that really struck me because it, it was what set apart the early church from the synagogue culture, mm. you know, because it began in a Jewish circle. And the synagogue culture was the, the preaching of the word, the explanation of the word and the prayers. And when you look at how modern evangelical worship uh, in the last 200 years has moved with the, the Lord's table not being a common element every week, you get song and prayer and, and preaching. And it looks very much like a synagogal form of worship. Mm. But what set the Christians apart was the table, mm. that they remembered the risen Savior, the incarnate one, the soon and coming King, the, the sacrifice for us every week they did this and mm-hmm. we see this modeled in like first corinthians 16 on the lord's day we met together you know? i i was just thinking about um you know one of the main reasons we gather as a church is because we forget the gospel we we, mm-hmm. we need to be reminded of the gospel yeah. every week we're prone to wander we're prone mm-hmm. to prone to smuggle our character into his already finished work of grace as saint clair ferguson Mm. says and so you know if if the preacher's doing his job if the the worship leader's doing their job um there's a there's a real sense where we're pointing people that are coming in maybe belly button gazing and looking inward you know um (laughs) i think it was jc rowlett said for for every 10 looks at Christ, take one look at yourself. But often we're taking 10 looks at ourselves for every one look at Christ. So yeah. we're coming into church and, and our job should be to say, do you see how glorious he is? Mm-hmm. Do you see what he's done for you? Uh, and it's mm-hmm. already a finished work. Um, one of the saddest things I heard uh, a, a brother of mine say that he, he travels around and he goes into a lot of churches and 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 he's, his role is kind of to observe and be with 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 other brothers pastors and he said it's it's devastating to hear as many preachers as i hear failing to actually preach the gospel when they preach mm. um mm-hmm. and um if 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 this is about uh 
wanting to proclaim Christ, who he is and what he has done, then, then I think what better way to come out of that where we've just sang mm-hmm. and we've preached and we've said, can you see Jesus, mm-hmm. who he is and what he has done, and now we're going to feast on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. just nothing better than that. No. It's, an, it's amazing that in John 6, that idea repulsed people. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. says, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. And, and people left him. Yeah. And now what hope, what joy that is, what gladness that brings for us mm-hmm. to hear that. Oh, yes, we need to feast on Jesus. We need to drink of his blood to have life like that. For the Christian, those are words of life. Mm. And uh, it's just so funny to think about that. And and I think that the intentionality that we need to put in, Mark Dever has this great quote where about prayer where he says, pray so much in your gatherings that the people who only pretend to love Jesus will get bored. Mm. <laughs> and I kind of think that that's how we need to treat the Lord's Supper. Like we need to take time with this and we need to lean into it. Maybe as a closing thing just to talk about for the last few minutes, guys, I, I think of Paul, Paul's instruction in first Corinthians 11, where he says, wait for one another. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty firm with the Corinthians. Like, don't go ahead with this when people aren't there. Mm-hmm. Don't rush ahead. Wait till you're all together. Mm-hmm. What is the horizontal element that happens? We talked about community before Johnny, mm-hmm. what is the horizontal element of partaking in the Lord's Supper. I think we have to take that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 and understand that it's rooted in a book in which Paul is discussing unity of the body throughout. The greatest testimony of the church, you will know they will know you are my disciples if you love one another, Jesus said. And so the Paul is grieving that they're at one another's their odds with one another. And he's saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus. And he's saying, it's not like that. We're all of Christ. And, and we need to do everything. Ephesians 4, he writes to the community and he says, make every effort mm. to preserve the unity in the bond mm. of peace, mm. unity of the Spirit. And it's what the Spirit has wrought in us. And so when you, when you walk through 1 Corinthians and you see how much is spoken of about the body, even 1 Corinthians 13 mm. is not a chapter about romance and you know a wedding love mm-hmm. this is about the body of christ loving one another right. love right. in general uh, and you've got first corinthians 10 in which he talks about there is one loaf because we are one body or is one body because there's one loaf right mm-hmm. so you've got this unity aspect mm-hmm. uh, and i love what augustine said when he talked about the miracle of the analogy of the bread if i take grains of wheat and I simply hold them in my hand individually, I can then throw them in a bowl. Mm. Uh, You know, the powder is there. When I add the water, which is the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and I munch it all together, and I knead it, and then I bake it, those grains are indivisible. Mm. We now have one Mm. item, a loaf of bread. And this is the miracle of what God has done in making us one by His Spirit. And Mm. so look at the bread and see our unity. And I think it's just an absolutely beautiful thing. And, and then it's covenant ratified by the cup in his blood. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love the whole thought of, you know, the Corinthians text of let a man examine himself. And I mm-hmm. think there's a sense where you I've seen it, I've witnessed it in my own life and in others where 
you know, someone is not going to the table, but I'll see them get out of their seat and go across the, oh. and, and just sit down by mm-hmm. a brother and say, you know, I've sinned against you and, and I can't go to that table because of this or whatever. Would you forgive me? Um, and just that, mm-hmm. that, the beautiful of recognizing that, that we, we, we are one body in Christ and, and, you know, there's always, uh, the, the enemy at work, there's all kinds of, there's our flesh, the yeah. world waging war against us. And yet in the <laughs> middle of all that, there's this beautiful, uh, picture of, of us being united in Christ and it's centered mm-hmm. around this table. So yeah. The gospel is a story of reconciliation, it isn't is, it? Yeah. And so yeah. Matthew 5, as, as they're illustrating there, yeah. is that beautiful moment of reconciliation before they go to the altar together. Right. Mm. Yeah. John Calvin is this great quote. And guys, forgive me, I just want to quickly read it. It's, 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 he's speaking about kind of the corporate dimensions of the supper. And he says, as the bread is made, the bread is made of many grains so mixed together that one cannot be distinguished from another. So it is fitting that in the same way we should be joined and bound together. Very Augustinian um, by such a great agreement of minds that no sort of disagreement or division may intrude. We shall benefit very much from the sacrament. If this thought is impressed and engraved upon our minds that none of the brethren can be injured, despised, rejected, abused, or in any way offended by us without at the same time injuring, despising and abusing Christ Mm. by the wrongs we do that we cannot disagree with our brethren without at the same time disagreeing with Christ that we cannot love Christ without loving him and the brethren that we ought to take the same care of our brethren's bodies as we take care of our own for they are members of our body and that as no part of the body is touched by any feeling of pain which is not spread among all the rest so we ought not to allow a brother to be affected by any evil without being touched with compassion for him Mm. according accordingly Augustine with good reason um, frequently called the sacrament the bond of love Mm -hmm. I think we just need to ponder that more and maybe that would just be our Mm -hmm. encouragement to you listeners as you're listening to this just next time you're taking the Lord's Supper pause and and just look around and be aware of and guys like in COVID and the the Mm -hmm. division and the, the, the debating in this time how critical is it that we start understanding the unity that we're sharing in as we go to the table and man, that can soften our hearts that can create beautiful unity within the church. If we just focus us, focus in on that a bit more. Preach it brother. Yeah. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's been amazing to have you as well as you, Pat. Thank you listeners for joining with us and we'll see you again soon on the next episode. Bye for now. Worship God is a production of the Gospel Coalition Canada. For more Christ-exalting resources, go to ca.thegospelcoalition.org.